authentic. This is uh, an incredible series. I love the uh, epistle James. Um, it's written by the half-brother of Jesus, um, who in and of itself, having a perfect brother would be very, very hard. I have three brothers, and um, having your brother be Jesus Christ and being raised in that household would be very difficult um, because he would probably have never done anything wrong, which he didn't do anything wrong. He was God. He was perfect. He was 100% man, 100% God. And to be that half-brother born of Joseph and Mary, um, James was, and then to see the risen Jesus and for him to become the first pastor in the church of Jerusalem is pretty awesome. Um, I love that because I... There's no way I would believe that my brother was the son of God unless he rose from the dead. And, uh, and Jesus did rise from the dead, and so therefore James believed, and I mean, here's a big skeptic um, in the Gospels, um, but yet in the New Testament we see his transformation uh, to being the first pastor in the church of Jerusalem. He goes through in James chapter 1 this idea of testing of our faith. And the difficulties, and this is just means to set up, Pastor Sean did an incredible job of unpacking last week, um, verses 15, 16, 17, 18. But the, I, want, I want to continue the thought as we go on into chapter 19, I mean, verses 19, verses um, 19 through 27, and we're going to read that here in a few minutes. And I want us to see how it all plays together. There's this idea of testing of our faith, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and you're going to have all of this sin, and he's talking about things that are done to you, things that you do to yourself, all of these issues that you're going through and, and looking towards the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning, looking to the Word of God, and now he gets into verse 19 and he gets into the point where he wants us to move from this enduring faithfulness to action. It's time for us to get off of our blessed assurances and get into action. And that's kind of what he does in movement here in the scripture and in the text. And so if you're reading James chapter 1, let's get into the good stuff, verses 19 and following. I'm going to read it. You follow along. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the chairs. Um, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. 
Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth. We thank you that, God, you have something to say to us today. You want to speak to our hearts, Lord God, through your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord God, that you would take this word like a sharp, powerful, two-edged sword and divide between our soul and spirit and our bone and our marrow. God, I just pray, Father, that this word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak through this word to us, to our hearts. Father God, I just confess my dependency upon you. I confess, Lord God, that I'm going to mess it up if, if it's about me. I just pray, Lord God, it would be all about you. I pray, Lord God, we would lift up your son, Jesus Christ, and everything that's said and done. That, Lord, that everyone would get a clear picture, Father, of how we're to live and what we're to do. Father God, we, we pray, Lord God, that we would not be hearers of the word only, but we would be doers of your word. And Father, I pray that you would speak through me through the power of your spirit. Forgive me for my sins, the things that I say and do and think that totally displease you. I don't want any of that in, in this message at all. You've got to communicate this, Father. And so help me, Lord God. Do this through me. For you have called me, and you said, faithful is he that called you that will also do it. And Lord God, as always, Lord, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Victimless living was what I entitled this, because you've got the first part of James 1, and it's counted all joy when you fall into various trials. There's this sense... And this mentality, I think, that happens where we fall into victimhood when we're suffering. And I'm not talking about this idea of um, being a victim. Labeling myself a victim or making myself a victim brings inaction, excuses. Pure and undefiled religion brings action and freedom in life. But understand this, please understand this. If something harmful or an event that happens to you outside of your control, you are, by definition, a victim in that moment. But how you live with what happens to you, that's what we're discussing. Because I think sometimes people use this victim status to define themselves. They use this fact that they're a victim and it allows them and it gives them a free pass to continue on in sin. Or it gives them this opportunity or this new identity that they no longer have to be held responsible for their actions. And James says some pretty strong things as he's talking about this idea of breaking the chains of that and getting into action. The best way to overcome being a victim is to do something for somebody else. To serve. To go outside of yourself. To stop labeling yourself by what's happened to you and start labeling yourself according to the way God sees you. 
not what's been done to me or what I say about myself, but whose I am. We will, church, change this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ when we stop looking at ourselves in the way that we see ourselves, but we start living, breathing, acting as the way God sees us. Now, in that moment, you are a victim when something out of your control happens to you and you feel powerless. But how you live with what happens to you is what we want to discuss. These things that happen to us can be defining moments, but they don't have to define us. Victims say things like, I'm a victim, so I get to sin, or I'm a victim because this is my identity, or you don't understand. I have a dysfunctional family. I always laugh about that because, like, I'm the most dysfunctional person that I know just because I know myself best. And the reality is this. I'm a sinful person, and because of sin, it makes everything dysfunctional in my life. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning this, that every family is dysfunctional. And if it was functional, I would join your family and thus I would make it dysfunctional because I'm dysfunctional. We're dysfunctional people. And so instead of allowing myself to be labeled dysfunctional, I'm going to look past that or this being my identity or then taking it on myself. Well, you don't understand I'm this or I'm that. And, like, and especially in this month of June where it's Pride Month, and everybody's proud about this idea of, 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 of immorality. And it causes me to ponder the fact of who I have sex with or who I'm attracted to is not an identity. It's not something I'm to take pride in. Our identity is far more than that. God has so much more for us. And I think in the midst of this, I think sometimes we lose focus or we don't know what to say or we don't know what to do because we're in this sense of, man, I, 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 man, I don't understand this. And the reality is something I do or something that happens to me makes me a victim, so this is me. But let me share something with you. God's not finished with you yet. That is why it's so destructive for us to say to people, especially young people, well, you're okay the way you are. And there's nothing worse you can say to somebody than you're okay the way that you are. Because they could be depressed, they could be suicidal, they could be nihilistic, they could feel awful and useless in the way that they are, and you come up to them and go, well, you're okay the way that you are. It's the worst thing you could say to someone. No, what you say is, you're a mess, and it's okay, because so am I. But we have a God in the universe who takes things and makes all things new. And he can take you and your mess, and he can make it beautiful. And he can conform you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And God only knows what you're going to look like in the next 60 years. That's hope. But for me to encourage you to stay in your state, especially for young people, is awful. 
don't you want to be different? Don't you want to be changed? Don't you want to stop identifying as somebody who labels you in this group of people of labels and start being identified as who God identifies you and labels you as? You're his child, Christian. You're his child. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. After three days, bodily rose from the dead. And when you repent, believe, and receive this gospel and this message, your life will be forever changed. That's the hope. That's the good news. And so this idea of living as a victim means it keeps me inactive. And James now is saying, okay, listen, it's time to move on. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Deal with your sin. It's a father of lights. And now he's saying, okay, now let's not be hearers of the word, but let's start taking action. Start doing what it says. And he does, and he starts off with something that really, really is troubling for me. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God in driving. It's interesting, this week, I added that last part, I just want you to know. This week, my wife always says this, is God not sovereign? Is God not sovereign? And I'm like, you're right. And so I'm driving and I'm thinking, man, doing well this week, having a difficult week, but uh, man, making it through. And literally, I'm driving and this red F-150 cut me off and ran me off the road because he wasn't going to let me over. And so I had to slam on my brakes, and then the person behind me is letting me know that they're not happy, and I'm not happy, and I lay on the horn. And I felt pretty good, just a little bit. And I was so angry, and the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God, so let me share something, I'm confessing. And I'm laying on the horn, and then I let him know that I want to be close to him. And so I drive up behind him, very close to him. Don't do this, young people. If you're listening to me, do not do this. This is like, I'm just confessing, okay? And I let him know I'm behind him. I'm not happy. And the person behind me is letting me know they're not happy either. And we're all angry. And I'm saying some things under my breath. Well, I'm the only one in the car, so I'm saying them a little louder than under my breath. And I'm thinking all of these impure thoughts. And my righteousness with God is not going up, but if anything, it's going down. Because the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And so I'm following him, and I'm wrestling, and I know what I'm preaching on, okay? And it's really hard to preach on something that you're having a hard time living. And I'm having a hard time living it in this moment while I'm driving. And then thank the Lord... You know, the worst part about it was he had I Love Jesus stickers all over his via truck. I was like, what? Take those stickers off. You're the one that gives Christians a bad name. Ignoring the speck in my own eye, the speck in his eye and the log in my own because I was just as horribly driving. Like, oh, goodness gracious. And then as he decided to turn... I just let the horn go a little bit longer. I just let the horn go for a little bit just to let him know, I remember what you did, and I want you to remember what you did too. 
But here's the deal. That is reactive. That's not being filled with the Holy Spirit of God and being proactive. That's not doing what the God wants us to do. In fact, when you read this scripture, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We're not to be angry. We're not to live in that way. This is not, but you don't understand, in that moment I felt like a victim. In that moment, I felt like I was going to get run off the road. In that moment, I was, and then I, what I do is I start to justify my actions, my sin, because of what has been done to me, instead of looking and saying, okay, Lord, this is what your word says. I need to do what your word says. What happens to us is not our identity, Christ is. Not even our sin creates our identity. None of these things create our identity. We are so much more than that. We are Christ's. And so if you're taking notes, there's three truths that we must follow and to keep us from living as a victim. If, we're, if you want to stop living as a continual victim, it's time for us as Christians, as a church, to move past this. And so the first one is that we must follow the listening examples of Jesus Christ. James had to have this in mind. Remember, G, G, James is raised with Jesus in the house. He's growing up with Jesus. Jesus could, had self-control. He controlled his tongue. And so he's writing this, and I'm sure he's got Jesus in mind. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know he was thinking about Jesus, his goody-two-shoes brother. And we're to follow the listening examples of Jesus. As I was reading this, I was thinking about the Gospels, and I was thinking about Jesus' life. Jesus is the Son of God. He knows everything. And for someone who knew everything, he sure asked a lot of questions when he was on earth. Being quick to listen and slow to speak is contrary to the way the world tells us to live. You know how I know? Because in a couple weeks, because a couple weeks ago in Texas there was a shooting, and you all know it, and it was horrible and it was tragic. And all the politicians and all the influencers and everybody wanted to get their things out there and be the first ones to say something. To write something, to text something, to social media something. That's not quick to listen. That's quick to speak. And, 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 and it was like the blind leading the blind because then all of a sudden all of the people that follow them are retweeting and reposting all of this stuff. And it's like the blind leading the blind leading the blind. Now, some people said some things that were like, oh, okay, halfway decent. Sometimes the blind mice can get the cheese. Okay. But for the most part, why can't we just take a step back and look at this and go, evil, death, shut our mouths and grieve. Why do we have to politicize it? 
Why do we have to step in? Well, we need more guns. We need more, we need more cops. We need less guns. We need more, and we're angry, and we're angry. And it's totally contrary to what the Word of God says and the way that Jesus lived. How did Jesus live? Then they put him on the cross, and he'd open not his mouth. And when he was on the cross, did he, yeah, man, it was good. Well, he was going to give it to him while he was on the cross dying. He was going to curse them, wasn't he? No, he gets up on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's the example, Christian, that we're to follow. Seven statements that he said from the cross. Simple, loving, kind. He wasn't quick to speak. He was slow to speak. Quick to hear, slow to anger. But we feel justified because we've been wrong. That's the attitude of a victim. That's not the attitude of Christ. And not only do we need to, to, to be quiet, but we need to tune our ears and listen to the things of God. It's not that quick to hear, but then my, my response to this quick to hear is, what are you listening to? What are you filling your mind with? Are you, being quick to hear means I'm seeking to understand instead of seeking to be understood. Quick to hear means turn off the news and stop echoing everything that the news says about whatever. Start filling your mind with the word of God. Be quick to hear what the word of God has to say in this situation. Not what the world says, not what I'm following on social media. Quick to hear what is the word of God saying. Quick to hear, slow to speak. It just reminds me of the story of this Native American. He, he went to New York City the very first time with his college roommate. He had never been into a big city before, and he goes to New York, of all cities. And, and there's all these noises and honking, and all this, I mean, just, and the Native American is overwhelmed. He's never been into a city. He's looking around. And he's with his roommate. He's like, wow, this is overwhelming. And they're walking down the sidewalk. And he says, wait, stop. The Native American stops his roommate and says, stop. Do you hear that across the street? And he's like, hear what? He goes, there's a cricket over by those trees. The guy starts laughing. What? He goes, this I got to see. And so they make their way through the traffic. They cross the street. Okay, here's some more colorful language and such. And they get over there, and then there's the tree, and sure enough, there's a cricket. And his college roommate's looking at his Native American buddy, and he's like, dude, you're amazing. How did you, not, you must have the best hearing ever. And his response was, no, I have the same hearing as everybody. He says, I just tune my ears to the things that are important to me. He goes, okay, I don't understand. His, his roommate looks at him and says, I don't understand. And the Native American says, let me illustrate. And he puts his hand in his pocket and he pulls out a bunch of change. And he throws it up. And it lands on the sidewalk. 
And everybody stops and scurries and is looking. And he goes, you see? You see what I mean? Everybody attunes their ears to what's important to them. My question to you is what's important to you and what are you attuning your ears to? What are you listening to? What are you quick to hear? Somebody on social media or what the word of God says? Somebody on the news that you can parrot or what the word of God says? Quick to hear, slow to speak. We must be slow to anger and not reactive. Slow to speak, quick to listen. If we listen intently, we can take, we can take our victimhood out. It was interesting, while we were in Ukraine, we, um, so we're in Poland, and we're in Hungary, and we're in Ukraine, and, and we're trying, by the way, Coastal gave $25,000 to the Ukraine effort, okay, which is awesome. And so one of the things that we really value at Coastal is that we want to really be, like, everyone goes, oh, $25,000 isn't a whole lot of money, considering the effort and all of that. And yeah, you're right, but we want to be good stewards of that, and we want to be very, very strategic in how we give it away. And so we gave away $25,000, and what we did was Joey Harrison, myself, who's a missionary in Honduras, and now he's on staff, we went to Ukraine and to Poland and all these places to give, to give out, to see where the need was, and we would sit down with these pastors and say, tell us about what you're doing, tell us about what's happening. This pastor here um, that, that we're, we're with, he and his church decided there was all these refugees coming in, and he decided, you know what, we're gonna, um, we're gonna, we're gonna rent out two floors at the Best Western, and we're gonna let anybody that wants to come live there live there, and we're gonna provide food, and we're gonna do classes, and we're gonna help them with school, and we're gonna do Bible studies, and we're gonna do all of these things. We're just gonna take people from the border, and we're gonna take them, and we're gonna take them from there's this refugee place that they go, and then basically kind of. Christians have been taking them into their homes and stuff. It's amazing. It's this outpouring of love in an incredible way. And so we, it, it was incredible. And so we, we listened and listened and listened, and, and they kept talking about this need over and over again. We need to get transportation. We, we've been saving up for a van. We're trying to get transportation. Captain, um, Pastor Corchi, he was the one that was, he was like, man, we just, we're trying to get transportation, and there's a group of special needs people that were trying to get into homes, into Hungary and stuff, and, and they were stuck at the train station, and, and we need to do it. And as we're listening, we're like, well, how much is a van? And they were, there was some negotiating on our part, but it was about 10 grand. We ended up getting, so Coastal, in that moment, we go, we go over there with our $25,000 to go help with the Ukrainians, and Joey and I go, well, we're buying the van. We're going to just buy it. Stop waiting, because they're taking their car back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to make a million trips, and they go, if we had a van, it would be so much better, but we're saving for it. And I'm like, well, let's just buy the van, and so Coastal bought a van. And... And, and we're, we're, here's the van. And, and so you're like, it's a really nice van. You can't get insurance, so it's going to probably not be that nice when, you know. And, and, and so we're, we, we just bought a van. And had we sat down and said, here's how we want to help you, it wouldn't have gotten the needs met. But in us coming and saying, how, what can we do? How can we serve? Tell us about what you're doing. And being quick to listen and slow to speak 
we found out what the exact need was, and we had the opportunity as a church to be able to meet that need. Now, we gave another $15,000 away in aid and, and utilities and those things to help with the Best Western and to help with all the other things that we were doing, okay, and, and materials and Bibles and things. It, awesome. But, but that's a real-life, tangible example of, of, of us wanting to be quick to listen. We have to be quick to listen, slow to speak. And we have to tune our ears to the things that God wants us to tune our ears to, mainly and namely the word of God. And that's the second point of what we need to follow so that we're not living as a victim anymore. We need to follow the word of God, not our emotions or our hurts. We need to follow the word of God and do what the Bible says daily. Oftentimes, victims, all they do is not only are they defined by their, by their victimness, victimhood, but they're also defined by their hurt, and they follow their hurts. And, and what it does is it creates a habitual sin, and James writes here, he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, how does the word get implanted? The word is getting implanted through the Holy Spirit of God and through our salvation, and that idea that we need the gospel every moment of every day. And the word meekness means power under control. So it's this, this, this power under control of the implanted word in our life that is able to save our souls. It translated the way that we're supposed to live. Follow the word of God and do what it says. Receive the implanted word of God. The daily gospel of my life reminds me of my salvation. And that's what heals my soul. And that's what moves me from victim to overcomer, to champion, to, to godliness. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's do what the Bible says. Well, you don't understand yesterday. I don't care. Paul says, I forget those things which are behind. I press on towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Stop letting your yesterday define your today. We follow the word of God today. Just do it. Just do what the scripture says. You can never go wrong in obeying the word of God. And people go, well, I need to pray about that. That's my favorite thing. Like, oh, I need to pray about this obedience to the word of God. You don't need to pray about it. Just do it. Someone says, well, I need to pray if I should start tithing or not. Luke eleven forty two. Jesus said, you tithe on your mint and spices and this you should do. Jesus is saying, that's the starting point, people. Be generous to the things of God. That's what it says. You don't have to pray about it. Just do it. Let me share this with you in regards to the money. I'll give you your money back if after three months of you faithfully giving your 10%, God doesn't bless you. Because here in the scripture, I stand on this. He will be blessed in his doing. That's the word, man. That's the word. Either we believe it or we don't. We either will be blessed in our doing what the word of God says or we won't. I'm so convinced that the word of God is true, we'll give you your money back. 
Be faithful. Demonstrate that to us. God, let's watch God provide every single need that you have. It says, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. But you don't understand. You don't understand. Somebody really, really hurt me. The Bible that I read to do the word of God says that I'm supposed to forgive 70 times 7. You don't understand. You don't understand. My situation is unique and different. Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Yes, the issue, they don't know what they're doing, and they're still hurting you, yes. Jesus understood. Jesus, in just talking to his disciples, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? There's nothing that you could say that Jesus doesn't understand or lived. We have a God who understands all our infirmities and the things that he's gone through. The problem is we don't sympathize with our God because we don't think he's relevant to us. We think it's our victimness that, that, that keeps us relevant. No, the reality is Jesus had, was betrayed by his best friend. He had 12 disciples that followed him for three and a half years. And one of the 12 named Judas comes up to him, doesn't slap him, doesn't punch him, doesn't say this is the guy. He kisses him. And Jesus says, you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? You, it would have been, e I mean, I'm just hearing Jesus's, like I think he was saying, I wish you would have punched me or hit me, it would have been easier. His best friend denies him three times. Peter, I'm never going to deny you, Jesus. Three times. And the Bible says it's in the courtyard. So it's like from me to Jason, right here. He's standing there arrested. He could see his eyes. After the third time, he denies him and says that Jesus looked at him. You don't think Jesus felt that emotionally? You don't understand. Did Jesus ever claim victim status? No. No, we follow Christ's example. We do what the word of God says, even when it doesn't make sense. I need to pray about going on a missions trip. Man, 2023 is going to be an awesome year. If you're a doctor or a nurse, we need to, and, or dentist or, or anything that having to do with that, we're taking a group to Thailand. Come with us. Don't pray about it. Just come on. In, in March, we're going to work with female refugees who've lost their husband from Syria. They're Syrian refugees in Jordan, and we're going to work with these women, and I'm just taking women. My wife's coming too, so, okay. Just want to. Jimmy Martin's coming, okay, and we're, so. Don't pray, just come. If it works out, come. Well, I need to pray about it. Why? This idea of praying about things that God says to do, I don't understand. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, go, make disciples. I need to pray about whether I should serve in the church. Don't pray. Go make disciples. We need, we need help in children and youth and students and missions. and there's, there's, there's plenty of things to do. I don't know what to do. 
go see me, go see Bethany. I'll tell you, man, we'll put some, she has this cool test thing, and she's like, she's like, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Okay, I'll serve there, you know? I mean, like, she's got, like, this incredible ability to help you find an area in your sweet spot to serve. Don't pray whether or not you need to be committed to a church. When Hebrews, the entire epistle of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, recognizing that Jesus and the church are connected. June 11th, we have We Are Coastal. Figure out, come to We Are Coastal and decide, is this the church for me to commit to? It's not, if this is not the church, go find a church that you want to commit to. But commit to a local church. Don't say, well, I'm a part of the universal church. If you're part of the universal church, then you should have to be committed to the local church. Because you live out the universal church through the local church. Don't pray about it, just do it. Is this hard and difficult? Yes, but do it anyway. Last thing is this. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. It's a simple religion of relationships. Why does Coastal care about Ukraine? Why does Coastal spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on missions? Because Revelation 13, 7 says that the gospel is for everyone, that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be represented around the throne. It's a gospel of relationships, that we're to help others that are helpless, that are in need. 1 Peter 3.10, the very end, he says, if, this, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. We're going to talk about this in the coming chapters So basically it's saying, do what the word of God says and bridle your tongue. It doesn't say silence your tongue, it says bridle your tongue. I think a lot of people in the church today have silenced their tongue because of fear. They haven't bridled their tongue. No, bridle your tongue means that let no unwholesome talk proceed out of your mouth, but that which is to glorify God. 1 Peter 3.10 says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit or lies. Bridling your tongue. If you have true, pure religion, you'll bridle your tongue. It doesn't mean silence your tongue. And then he says, care for the widows and the orphans. Psalm 82, 3 and 4. says this, give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Is that not the people in Ukraine that are fleeing and looking for help? Bridle your tongue, care for the widows and the orphans, keep oneself unstained from the world. This is pure and undefiled religion. This is not, this is a religion that is worthwhile. Why? Because all three of these things are based upon relationship with Christ and relationship with others. It's not based upon the do's and don'ts and being good enough. It's about following Christ. John chapter 14, verse 15, and I wish I had time to unpack this, but I don't. You have Two verses ahead of time that give a promise and a promise, and then you have two verses after it that give a promise and a promise. 
And so John 14, 15 is not a command, but a promise. And when you read it as a, as a command, you read it differently because you're constantly feeling like a victim. You're constantly feeling like I'm not good enough, that God's disappointed in me. But when you read it as a promise in John 14, 15, then it gives you hope. And so John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's not saying, if you love me, you better do what I say. Because who can do that? Nobody. Because I was here. I'm not perfect. And I'm like, oh, I thought you were. Okay? No, it's this idea that we're not perfect. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So the whole emphasis of this verse as a promise is this. If you love me, really love me, focus in on loving me, then you're going to keep my commandments. Stop focusing on keeping the commandments and start focusing on loving Jesus. Stop focusing on trying to not sin and start focusing on loving Jesus. When I focus on, on trying to say the right things to my wife and do the right things and all of that stuff, I'm not a very good husband. But when I focus on, on loving my wife, I'm a much better husband. If you focus your attention on loving Jesus, you'll keep his commandments. That's the wake we'll leave behind. Bridle your tongue, care for the widows and the orphan, keep yourself unstained from the world. Love in word and deed to those that need it. Let me share this with you because I want to talk about the bridling of the tongue and we'll get, we'll get some more as the worship team is coming. I want to, we have to love in word and deed to those who need it. A lot of people say, well, we just should just do our actions and actions and not say anything. No, we're supposed to speak up the gospel. We live it with our lives and we speak it with our mouths. It's both. Because remember, silence is affirmation. We cannot remain silent in the midst of sin with a broken and lost and dying world. The stuff that's happening with this Pride Month and everything, it, it's, they're crying out for attention. Let's give them the right attention. Jesus Christ can save you and fix you. And God only knows what you can become in the next 60 years. But you don't have to live and be defined by this. This, this, this idea that you, this is all that I am and this is all that I can be. No, you're so much more than that. Christ can save you and redeem you and change you and transform you to be everything that he wants you to be. Why do you limit yourself and allow others to limit you? No, silence is affirmation. You're only affirming when we say nothing. Prominent Luther pastor in Germany, he was an outspoken critic of Adolf Hitler. He spent the last seven years of Nazi rule in concentration camps. He said this, if you ever go to the Holocaust Museum, it's on one of the walls. He says, first they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. We know the scripture. We need to live the scripture. We need to speak the scripture. It's truth. We do it in a way in which we're slow to speak, though. Quick to listen. Slow to get angry. When we follow Christ, obeying his word, we will listen and see the needs of others and do what the Bible has created us, what God has created us to do. Speak up and take biblical action. It's time for us to stop 
coming and cloistering together and doing nothing. You know what I'm tired of? I'm tired of churches being defined by the sins of their pastors and their people and the things that the church isn't doing. How about Coastal just be identified by our love one for another and the love that we have for people that are dying and lost and don't know what they're doing? And, and stop parroting what the world says. I'm a victim, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. No, I'm a conqueror through him who loved me. I'm a follower of Jesus, and that means I'm broken and I'm messed up, and there's room for you too. So come on. You don't understand I had an abortion. You don't understand I was abused. Get in line. One in three. One in three have been abused sexually in our country. And I'm not downplaying it, and I'm not, listen, it's heartbreaking. I'm just telling you, you're more than that. Christ died to set us free. Christ has died to, to call us his children. Christ died and rose from the dead so that we could move from victim status to conqueror. Stop identifying yourself by your sin. Start identifying yourself by Christ. We're useless, but in the hands of the master, who's making all things new, he can take our brokenness and our hurt, and he can use us to change the world. That's what I believe. Who's with me? Who's with me? Do what the Bible says. I'm excited. I love you. I know this is a hard message. If you're here today and you're, man, you're still struggling with some things, listen, we're not on an island and you need help, you need community, you need people to come around you and love you and to walk with you. And we want to do that. There'll be people underneath the screens that would love to pray with you and to walk with you and to help you get connected, to get the healing that you need be people in the prayer chapel that would love to do the same thing. Whatever your need is, let's go through it together. Let's love each other as Christ has called us and commanded us to do that. Let's walk through this together. God can heal you from the pain of abortion. He can heal you from the pain of sexual abuse. He can heal you from the pain of all of, of, of racism and anger and hurt and all of these things, alcoholism and drug addiction and, and pornography and, I mean, and gossip and lying and slander and all of these things, God can heal you from these things. And one of the ways that he uses to heal us is by not us living in inaction as victims, but us start to do and to do and to serve, and to love, and to look past ourselves, and look past our things, and look past those things, and recognize, yep, not I, but Christ, not I, but Christ, not I, but Christ, not I, but Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's truth. I pray, Lord God, you would challenge us and change us to follow you. Not be hearers of the word, Lord God, but be doers of the word, Lord God. We need to move. We need to move. 
Thank you for your word. Help us, Lord God. We love you. I hope that everything that was said and done here caused the your son Jesus' glory and represented him well. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand up. Let's sing. If you need prayer, there'll be some people up here that would love to pray with you. We're going to sing and close. Let's take action.